All right, folks, we're back here, um, Anchorage, Alaska. I'm on the, I'm not even kidding, the 13th floor of the BP building with a view that is quite incredible. We should be doing this with a video. I'm joined by my buddy, Damien Bilbao, right? Did I get it right? How you doing? Yeah, I'm Vi- good. Vice President of Commercial Ventures. Yeah, that's, that's a right. hell of a title. It's a pretty good title, isn't it? Did you, did they say like, do you want to t- make up your title or did you, did they give it to you? I would lie, but I did actually make that one up. It's a great title. Yeah. Uh, Janet thought, my boss, Janet Weiss, thought it would work, so she said, uh, go with it. First thing I want to say is, I wish this was a video, not just because of the view. This is table is quite impressive, this conference table. It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's like a wood stained with a... No, it's a resin table. Janet made it. Is this wood behind, below it? Yeah. So Janet Weiss, our boss, the president of BP Alaska, with her husband and her daughter and some friends, make resin products you can actually follow them on instagram really yeah did not know that yeah and they made the table they gifted it to bp alaska it was installed just a few weeks ago folks this isn't like your dinner room table this is can sit probably what 15 people Uh, yeah we sit uh we sit about 14 to 16 people how long is this thing about 20 feet maybe Um, i don't know it's pretty long it's 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 a great table it's pretty impressive it um in fact, if you want to really check it out, just go go to the Instagram and, ch- and take a look at their account. It's Alaska underscore resin underscore creations. Alaska and, uh, underscore, underscore resin underscore creations. Yeah. That's awesome. Alaska underscore resin underscore creations. Pretty cool. Well, it's a nice table. And this room is, this view is million dollar view. So uh been doing, want to do a podcast with you for a while. I see you in Juno sometimes. You're, you're mm-hmm. there after, actually quite often testifying on stuff. Yeah, when we uh, get invited to testify before committee or every once in a while, legislators will have a question about what BP Alaska is up to, and I get to go down there and meet with them and answer their questions and see what's going on. You were just there a couple of days ago, right? Yes. We, uh, House Resources wanted an industry update. So uh, they got an update from uh, AOGA and uh, ConocoPhillips. And That's BP the Alaska and Oil and Gas Association. Alaska Oil and Gas Association. That's right, led by Kara Moriarty. And she did a great job of testifying and members had a lot of good questions and we walked through what's going on around the world and what's going on in Alaska and what the industry's up to. So before we go into the Alaska stuff, let's talk a bit about you. You're not from Alaska originally. You can't really tell by the accent, but you're from Venezuela. That's right. I grew up in Venezuela. I spent most of my childhood in Venezuela. My dad was in the oil business. So I moved around in a little bit between places like Houston and Tulsa, but for the most part in Caracas. So... You're watching, I imagine, what, you still have family there? Uncle and aunt, cousins, lots of friends, people I went to school with, uh, a lot of people going through a tough time, and been watching it uh, slowly degrade over the last couple decades. It's been in the news, you know, the last few months, and since this Maduro and this, what's his name, uh, Guaido? Guaido. Guaido, yeah. So you say it the way the... Presidente Guaido. So he's trying to make a move. Uh, yes, he's been recognized by many countries as the legitimate president of Venezuela following uh, questionable elections that uh, uh, the then-president Maduro uh, like claimed president. I like how you say that. you got to say it like you're a newscaster sitting in Nicaragua. Oh, you wow. notice like whenever they stand yes. there, it's like, this is uh, John Palmer in Nicaragua. That's you right. do it like that. That's very good. All right, so 
We have a little bit of a history. Didn't didn't Chavis Hugo Chavis didn't he send some like oil, oil. to to Nome or something years? That's ago? right. He was a good marketing guy, wasn't he? Didn't he was very good at the marketing. Uh, he um, he learned a lot from uh, Fidel Castro, who was his mentor. He spent a lot of time in Cuba talking to Fidel and um, enrolling support from different political groups. And one of the things he did was gift. Uh, heating oil to different communities, which legitimately needed it. And um, in the meantime, he was selling oil on the cheap to Cuba and China and a few other places. It was a it was a time where he had just become president and was trying to figure out how uh, how to fund a lot of his programs that he was creating in Venezuela. And my good buddies from there, his parents still live there, and he said it's kind of a issue. You know, they have to like go visit with medicine because they can't mm-hmm. get certain kinds of medicine, and it's. Yeah, I've got Hopefully cousins. It gets Hopefully it- I got a cousin has a kid with asthma that can't find medicine for him, and has had to move. And there's a, they talk about the Maduro diet, which is uh, the average Venezuelan has lost about seven to ten pounds each of the last few years. Oh wow! Um, because there's no food in the stores, there's no medicine at the pharmacy, and it's crazy because like Alaska, I mean, they have a ton of oil and resources. Mm-hmm. In and- fact, they have if you include all the heavy oil resources, they have more oil than any other country on the planet. Wow. In the meantime, production has dropped from the 2 million barrels a day, or more than 2 million barrels a day, to more recently right around 700,000 barrels a day, and they're not even that's able to like export. Al- that's kind of like Alaska. Yeah. And we were it, 2 million, right, in the except, 80s? That's right, in the mid-80s, except they've done it in, in a lot less, a lot shorter <laughs> period of time with, <laughs> with uh, unfortunately, more drastic uh, consequences. Uh, the economy in Venezuela is the worst on the planet, highest inflation. Uh, and I, I read an article uh, about a year ago. People were buying cars just so they could hold on to the car mm-hmm. instead of holding the cash, right? Because it would, it would, you know, it wouldn't be affected by the inflation, right? When inflation is twelve thousand percent a year, you're uh, it's not worth much to hold on to your to your paycheck. Mm-hmm. So the second you get your paycheck, you got to go buy something that it's going to hold its value. I was in uh, years ago in Uzbekistan, and I come, I was in Tajikistan. We crossed the border and. I was in another Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, and you know the currency. The stands. The stands. It wasn't an issue, but in Uzbekistan, they have like huge monetary issues at the time, and the the largest note was a thousand. It was called Som. Mm-hmm. So a dollar was two thousand, but um, officially. Mm-hmm. But you go to like the market. There's a guy. Mm-hmm. He'll give you three thousand. But the biggest one. So you have basically literally bags of money. Right. People go go to the store, and when you go to get a like a restaurant or a hotel, there's a like a bank counting money machine, right? And they have them to count the money because it, it's like it was weird. I mean, I had like stacks dom- of money. Yeah, the denominations can't keep up with the prices. So in Venezuela, in the last couple of years, you take suitcases of money to the store and they just weigh it. Yeah, they don't even count it anymore because it takes so many bills, takes so much time. This is like in Ger- Weimar Republic. You know, they used to they, in Germany before after yeah. World War, they'd burn the money. That's right because it was it's worth nothing. Now it's 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 really sad situation, and there's still a lot of people there that are trying to do. What's and people right. are people are leaving in droves, right? Yeah, about four to five million Venezuelans have left in the last ten years. What's the population there? Is it well? It was around twenty million. So say it's well, about a quarter. It's a quarter. Quarter of the population has left. Oh man, Jeez. which gives you an idea of that when it you know when it comes time to rebuild. It's, you're going to have a hard time finding the people you need uh, and the, with the well, capability that's what, that's what, you need. To that's what Russia is doing. Now they're trying to get people to go back. That's right. Because Russia lost huge amounts of people in the 90s because mm-hmm. of the instability and the economic problems. 
and they're trying to get some folks have started to go back, you mm-hmm. know, but it's it's a similar challenge. So let's talk about so you came to Alaska, you were telling me with an internship, right? Yeah, so my first time in Alaska was with Arco back in 1997, and I spent three months here. It's old school. Oh, very old school. What was that, 22 years now? So I worked. I lived downtown, worked in the what is now the ConocoPhillips building, uh, had a great summer, fell in love with the place, and took a few years to get back. So then I came back in 06. Were you in school still, or were you? Yeah, I was finishing up school. Where'd you go to? So this was during law school. So I was finishing up law school. Uh, see, now most people don't know I went to law school. I didn't so know you, I'm, you're, I'm, you're I'm being outed here. Well, you're a lawyer? Yeah, so I'm being outed. Are Thanks, you like Jeff. a bar, barred lawyer? Yeah, so I took the bar in Texas. We can delete this portion no, we're not. of the podcast if you oh, like. Oh, this is a bit better and better. So I t- so I fin- between my second and third year of law school, I came up here, worked at uh, ARC Alaska, and then after I finished law school, I went and worked for an ARCO subsidiary named Vastar. Uh, in Houston, that was then later acquired by BP. So I worked for two, three years by, for a company that got bought by BP. What did they BP. do? Vastar was basically Arco's Lore 48 and Gulf of Mexico oil business. So is that did they go away when the Arco thing happened? Yeah, so BP bought Arco first, and when they bought Arco, they acquired 78% or so of Vastar, and then they just bought the rest so and folded it into BP. So where'd you go to law school? Creighton University. Oh, Creighton. Oh. Nebraska. Yeah. Good Jesuit school. But when I, they have a good basketball program now. When I was there, we were getting a solid two to three wins a season. But uh, Dave, that's probably how you know Dave. Dave Steeren's a big Nebraska guy, right? Yeah, Steeren. Now Steeren is a Husker fan and a Cubs fan. I'm a Cubs. Uh, my parents are from Chicago. I'm a Cubs fan. Oh, that's just two more reasons to not like you guys. So I'm a White hey, Sox White's, fan. Oh. I'm a White Sox fan. Oh no! Oh god! And a, and I went to Creighton, who just beat Nebraska and. In baseball and volleyball this year, which let's make sure Dave Steering listens to this. And oh, we're going to ta- we're going to tag Dave Steering. Okay, good, perfect. So where'd you go to undergraduate? At Creighton. So I went to undergrad and law school at Creighton, and then I got my MBA in Houston while I was working for a BP. And you have an MBA. Yeah. I'm feeling very inferior right now. Well, you're a Cubs fan, so. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Wait, so what's your <laughs> undergrad? Is it? Do you have like a engineering? Uh, my, or? Uh, no, my undergrad is in economics. Um, and uh, then my law degree is focused in corporate business transactions, and then my MBA is in finance. I'm just really feeling. I mean, I really want to get like an MBA, and now now you have a law degree and an MBA, so now I feel even worse about not getting my and MBA. And a Cubs fan, and a Bears fan. You got three strikes against you. There. But I kind of like the Seahawks because more of the Alaska things. The Seahawks are kind of. I'll say I'm a Broncos fan. That's okay. Are they still have fans. Yeah, Couple. lots of fans. They're not, you know. They're not the kind of fans that just get, come out of the woodwork when they I'm, win one World Series. I miss the Elway Broncos. Oh, he's still there. He's, he's, he's <laughs> him, hanging out, right? Him and like a new quarterback every two years. Did you see that, it's kind of unrelated, but did you see that Magic Johnson just left his job? Yeah. Because there was an email. Did you hear about this? There I, was heard, an, there I was heard an, he was walking away. There was an email, from what I understand, the article I read, there was an email, internal email, about how they were... Some management was kind of unhappy with him, or some some of his. He got copied on the email. Is that right? And they were going back and forth, so he just said, "Yeah, I quit." All right, so we're going to make this is the most educational aspect of this podcast ever. All right, the most important thing you can do in your Outlook is set up an automatic sixty second delay to all your emails. So in my Outlook, you can, oh, you, can, I have you know what? I, I my somebody I forgot about that. You can do that, can't you? You create a rule so all my emails sit in my outbox for sixty seconds. Before they they fire off, gives you a chance to do two things. Number one, double check who you included and who you didn't include, and number two, rethink what you just wrote. Because I have done that 
enough times where I've either not included some, and then I have to go back and say, oh, forgot to, it's kind of like, it looks dumb where you're like, oh, I forgot you. Right. So there you go. So for all, for all the uh, boys and girls at home listening in, this is your educational moment. So that's a 60 that's second un, delay. Un, under the rules, you just do. Yeah, do, that's right. You set up a rule. That's a good idea. I think I'm going to do that after, we, after we this take podcast. We'll take a pause. You can do it right now. Oh, I won't forget. So, okay, so you did the internship and then you were in Houston. That's right. And then the, the thing happened. And then did you want to come back here or did they say, do you want to move back? Or So we were in, I was in Houston for six years. And then I went to Moscow for a couple of years. We had just formed- Which, a I, which I love, by the way, because I spent a lot of time in Russia. And I remember you told me you were there. I was in Moscow from 04 to 06. Spent a couple of years working for a joint venture that BP created called TNKBP, which was kind of cool. because That's it still was, around, isn't it? No, we sold it. So but we, TNK still- So we sold our our half of TNKBP a few years ago, and, we, and then we bought 20% of Rosneft, which we still, mm -hmm. BP still owns today. What going on in Russia? There's always a lot going on in Russia. I was there. My first trip to Russia was uh, summer of 06. I thought you looked familiar. Maybe we bumped into we each other. We probably did. In the streets. That explains a lot. No, it was, it's, it's an amazing place to visit. It's, and it's one of those things where you've got all of mainland Europe in the way. So most people aren't going to make the full trip to Moscow, but it's a beautiful place. The people are incredibly welcoming and, and mm -hmm. um, they're very generous people. Had a great couple years. Really enjoyed it. Uh, and then after a couple of years in Moscow, that and I finally had the opportunity to come back to Alaska. So, and you've been here ever since? No, I went, uh, we were in Alaska for three years and then moved to Indonesia, to Jakarta. Oh man. And then I worked on um, a couple of things, worked on an LNG uh, project that we, that BP has in Indonesia and worked on some, I think we'd call acquisitions and divestitures in Southeast Asia. So South China Sea and um, some stuff in Indonesia, um, so stuff in uh, Malaysia. It's pretty cool. It's a great job. So a lot of what you do here um, is gas-related, right? So I have two things. So I have um, BP owns 50% 50, 50 more or less of TAPS and Alieska. That's a pipeline. Yeah, so the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. So I'm responsible for BP's ownership in the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. And You're then the guy. I'm the one. The, there's not just one person working it. but At BP. Um, yeah, there's a team working uh, midstream, is what we call it, the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. So there's like upstream, there's downstream, there's right. midstream. That's right. That's I, know right. Some, I know some terms. I worked in you're, you're See, you know the business. I know a little bit. I know you've worked the business before. And uh, now, it, it's a lot easier when you got people like Admiral Tom Barrett at Alaska and his team, which is doing a phenomenal job of running the Trans-Alaska Pipeline system. So it makes my job a hell of a lot easier. So I was just talking to somebody in Juneau, and they were saying... I forget what was it. It was only how long was it supposed to last when they built it? Twenty years or thirty? Yeah, so only so Pruda was only supposed to produce oil through about two thousand three, um, and Taps was supposed to be around at least you know about that long. Turns out we've now been running for forty two years more or less, and uh, we think we got another forty years to go. So t Prudo, for example, was supposed to produce nine billion barrels. It's produced over thirteen, and we think there's still billion or so more to uh, produce from the field. There's still the, all the other, you know, there's the oil search doing stuff and there's, yeah, uh, the, there's, the, lot, there's the a Repsol lot of, find. And a lot of stuff going on on the North Slope right now. Uh, Conoco uses the term the North Slope Renaissance and they're right. It's it, it's across the board. There's access activity going on with 
Anwar's opening up and new leases in MPRA. You got expiration success between Oil Search and ConocoPhillips and and Kalis. You got companies like Hillcorp building new pads at Milne Point. You got Prudhoe Bay doing phenomenally well. Um, you got Point Thompson starting up. There's just a lot going on, which is why you've got more oil coming down taps than you know each of the last couple years. Last three years, you've had flat production or flow down taps. That's phenomenal. So at the peak in '80s, it was two million barrels. That's right. And now we're five hundred thousand. Five hundred thousand plus. That's right. But if if you look back six years, you know, if you look back to even before that. Look at when Aces first came in, into uh, existence. That's a Pale and tax, right? Pale, pale air, pale air and tax, right? right? So we lived under aces for six years. There was over one hundred eighty thousand. There was one hundred and seventy odd thousand barrels less flowing down taps by the time we got rid of aces and put SB twenty one in place. And at the same time, were other areas increasing or not? Not 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 reducing the oil production. They were increasing. So you look at Texas, for example. Uh, Texas now produces four point six million barrels a day. Compared to our 500,000, Alaska today is the sixth largest producer of oil in the United States. Sixth largest state producer in the United States. California overtook us, right? California and Colorado, North Dakota. It's uh, Somebody just, you know, Ed King, the economist for the governor? Yeah, it does good work. He just put out this little chart. And it was, did you see this on Twitter or Facebook? Oh, the one today. It was like shows over the states moving. 30 years, or, and it was oil. It was like a animated chart, kind of a graphic. It's pretty cool. And it showed, and then it showed... Alaska was like shooting down, but then like North Dakota and, and Texas, Texas and, like, were like going the other, almost inverse. Yeah, as technology let uh, the industry develop some opportunities, some resources that couldn't be developed before. This is the big shale revolution, and uh, that's what enabled the, mm-hmm. the, the, that transformation about, I guess it's been about 10 years, but a lot of credit to Ed King um, for putting that together. It's a great illustration. Yeah, it's a good little graph. So I don't know. I don't know if there's any plans, or if you can talk about like the Anwar. Is there any plans to? I know they're going to start doing leases, right? Yes, yeah, so you have a lease sale coming up at the end of the year. So first of all, I think we should recognize the the Alaska congressional delegation for the work they've done to open that back up. Because it, you know, for decades that was closed off as an opportunity. Everybody wanted to. Open. Everybody did, right? And uh, there was um, there's only a couple leases in Anwar that are held by BP and Chevron. Chevron's actually the operator of those leases. Um, We're looking to see what opportunities there may be, but there's a lease sale coming up, and a lot of credit to the BLM for the way they've managed the process of gaining comments into that lease lease sale. And we've got people looking at it uh, and understanding the opportunity. I'm sure a lot of other people do as well, and uh, we'll have to see who shows up at the lease sale. What about NPRA? I mean, I hear a lot about that. and I mean, as far as I understand, that that was set up as a petroleum reserve. It was first naval petroleum reserve right years ago and there was it was it wilton who was what president said it was like around like the roosevelt it was a long time ago it was a long time ago and then now it's a national petroleum reserve but right i mean there's some folks who seem to want to not allow that but there's a push to i think develop i mean where's where's there's actually a lot of development in the mpra and conoco phillips has done a, a great job of proving that you can you can develop, you can explore and develop in the MPRA and across the Arctic in a responsible way. So they're actually using technology, directional drilling technologies, so that you can make the pads much smaller because you can drill much farther out. It's incredible. You know, I worked for a company that did casing. So you mm-hmm. put the, you know, after the hole gets drilled, put the casing, but they can go down, you know, so many, th- and they can go sideways basically. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like the, the stuff just kind of bends and, it's incredible how far you can. I mean, thirty. Some, I think Ian and I did like a thirty thousand foot 
well yeah, directional. It's, it's pretty it's pretty amazing but you know if you think about it it's there's two reasons one we want to do a and we want to make sure we're minimizing the environmental footprint on the slope right all the companies do but there's also a high cost challenge to operating on the north slope so anything that you can do to minimize the number of times you move the rigs around or the number of pads you have to build or the number of ice fields you have to build is going to help you be more competitive and alaska is an expensive place to operate so it's not just about developing technology uh, f- because it's it's interesting and because it makes it enables us to to minimize the footprint. It's also because we have to do it to be able to compete with the Texases and the North Dakotans and every place else that's invest where all this investment's occurring. So you mentioned Aces earlier, and I want to ask about well Texas. You know, we've had Aces, and then there was SB twenty one, and then there was a repeal effort, and then way before that there was all these different Elf limit fa- economic limit factor and, and PPT. I mean, it, it seems like the tax, in my view. system changes every five or ten years Mm -hmm. and and that creates even recently there's been some attempts in the legislature to you know reduce these per barrel deductions or credits whatever they're referred to um what kind of you know when the system changes every five or ten years what is that what kind of impact does that have on decision making of because some people talk about that and other people dismiss it but i think it, it takes what five or ten years sometimes to drill a well and develop well, a big project takes at least 10 years between go, build, develop, and start to make money on it. But it's not just the changes. You know, Jeff, whenever there's a, a conversation about a change or a suggestion that there needs to be changes, that hits the newswire. That gets back to our corporate offices. People ask questions around whether or not Alaska is actually genuinely committed to an, attracting investment. And we need to remember, Alaska competes with a lot of other places for investment in oil and gas. So... It's, it's not just a fact that there's been, what, seven ch- tweaks or changes to oil taxes in the last 14 years. It's the fact that we can't seem to go a year without somebody having a creative idea on how to improve something that seems to be working pretty well. I mean, if, if your goal, if your policy goal is to produce more oil, it's working. You have more oil production down the Trans-Alaska Pipeline the last six years under SB21. Full stop. So, and if you project that forward, the difference between this, the production from the North Slope declining at 1% versus 6% is an extra $55 billion to the state of Alaska. So if your goal is more oil flowing down taps, if your goal is to have more revenue to the state over the next 40 years, you, you got to make sure you have policies that support that. And right now you do. And every time you someone suggests tweaking it or changing it, it makes people wonder whether they should be investing someplace else. Yeah. So the, kind of the irony is with, with ACEs, there was a huge windfall at the high prices, which they didn't. nobody foresaw $140 barrel oil. But then at the um, with the SB twenty one at the low end, when the price of oil crashed, which again people didn't really nope, a lot of people didn't foresee it going to thirty, there was more tax revenue under SB twenty one than if Aces would have still been in place, right? That's right. With, with the low with at the very low oil prices. That's right. Yeah, the state actually was better protected at the lower prices under SB twenty one. Um, and and I remember I was down in Juneau testifying on when the debate was was going on around SB 21 and making changes and all the, there's a lot of consultants that the legislature brought in to look at um, what it, how it would affect the state at different prices. And there's a few people that were wise enough to ask the question around low oil prices and they were given assurance that at lower oil prices, SB 21 would better protect the state. So you guys recently um, went into an agreement with, I think it was Exxon and um, AKL or the AGDC, is that right? Oh, that's right. So we signed a, a memorandum of understanding. We signed an agreement with AK, AGDC and ExxonMobil to 
work together to figure out whether AKLNG can compete or how to make it more competitive. And we've been working together for the last couple months on that, um, putting together our, our engineers and our regulatory folks, our commercial folks, to figure out how do you make uh, AKLNG compete in a, in a global, uh, in a world where there's a lot of LNG projects out there. So is, is the, the Walker China deal kind of, is that gone or is that still, on the, do you have any idea where that is? Or? Oh, it's still in place. In fact, um, about a month ago, I was in uh, Shanghai with the AGDC team. Um, oh, nice. And uh, we there was a conference called LNG 19. Um, all the key players around the world were there talking about LNG projects. Um, AGDC, BP, and Exxon jointly met with Sinopec, talked about the status of the project, some of the work that we're doing together. Uh, it's clear that Sinopec is still interested in, in understanding how they can support the project moving forward. Um, but there's some more work that needs to be done there to make sure that it's the right thing for the state. It's the right thing for, for moving the project forward in the right direction. Do you think going back, you know, it's been talked about for uh, 40 years, going back 20, 10 or 20 years, was there any point it could have maybe happened, but something, if something was done differently or, I mean, is it just, is it really the money? Is it, does it boil down to the costs? Is it really the, no, you know, gas, Gas is more complicated commercially than oil, and LNG is more complicated than gas. You just you need you need all the parties, the banks, the investors, the buyers, everyone lined up before dirt is ever moved in a way you don't need. D- with oil. Didn't you tell me about some some agreement that was signed in some hotel that was the walls no, were was, taken down, so there was a table that was like hundreds of feet long or something. Some people remember my stories. That's good. So there was. Uh, I remember this, that. It was a good story. This is a, actually when uh, when in when an oil project gets sanctioned to go build it letters are exchanged between companies like by email and there's a signature that occurs and off you go because you don't have to worry about selling the oil right there's a global market for the oil but it's different for lng when you sanction an lng project when you say go you have this huge signing ceremony and you have this huge you're in this big ballroom in some fancy hotel somewhere in asia and there's a long table down the middle and at the table you have the investors so the oil companies the state agencies, the banks, the LNG buyers, NGOs, labor unions, you name it, will be at this table. Governments. Yeah, the governments, and not just one, but multiple governments, federal and state. And you'll pass these agreements down this long table. So it's, it's, it's like a mortgage signing but uh, on, steroids. on steroids. I was going to say it like. Yeah, on, on, uh, on the most powerful steroid you've ever ever heard of. Like, and these stuff, these documents make their way down the table and they, they get signed. And only after every single party at that table is lined up do you, they, do you launch an LNG project? Are they reviewing them, or are they pretty, they've pretty much no, all been reviewed? So they they've just all been signed, reviewed. Signed. So it's all, like when you're buying your house, you just right, right, go right. through they, and sign, You've sign. got every single one of them has got a team of 10, 20, 30 people that have reviewed these documents. But the point is, until everyone is lined up and ready to say go, the project doesn't happen, which is why you always hear about these negotiations that go on and on on these LNG projects because so many people have to be at that that'd, table at the same time. That would be a fun drinking game. Like every time somebody takes a, makes a signature, take a shot, <laughs> people would be... Not feeling well. So afterwards, is there a big like a party or like celebration? There's or? a lot of pictures. There's everybody stands with everybody else, and then in different groups, and and then there's a reception. And sounds like very high energy. It's definitely high energy. I want to go to one of those. It's uh, they're not they're not cheap, but but think about it. You're signing on to launch a project that could be not just ten twenty billion dollars to build it, but is going to build. It's going to bring tens if not more, billions of dollars to economies. So so one of the things I've heard is like with China, for example, 
you know, their economy's growing. They have a billion plus people, um, and they want you know a, a consistent um, amount of supply of gas over the long term. But also, there's stuff in you know Australia and the um, you know Indonesia. The what's that sea? The ocean there above Australia. Uh, like by Timor, they eat, you know, Timor, there's yep. gas there, there's, there's some gas offshore. in China, yep. Russia, there's gas, all these different... There's there's a lot of gas around the world. There's a lot of oil around the world. So this is why when we talk about these big projects, we talk about the cost of supply, the break-even price of these projects. There's a lot of other projects out there that could sell LNG. What you need to do is make sure that you can deliver your project as efficiency, efficiently as possible. So you're the most competitive one out there negotiating your sales contracts. So how does that work? Because I know there's like the Henry Hub. Mm-hmm. I mean, oil is kind of, we have Alaska North Slope crew. There's brand, people kind of understand right. what a barrel of oil is. Right. You can uh, see that's that. a good question. But with gas, it's like, what's that? Is that a, per some? So they use a math formula. So as if oil didn't have enough acronyms and, and ways of making it difficult for people to keep up with it, LNG is even more complicated. And, and it's not just one market that tells you what the price is, like a Brent or a WTI. You usually use a math formula. And so it's party to party. So you and I could negotiate an LNG contract, and we could agree that it's going to be based half on the price of Henry Hub and Lower 48, half on some percentage of Brent plus 50 cents. And so, we'll so what's that? The Henry Hub price is that per a cubic? Is it a cubic foot or what is? Yeah, per thousand cubic feet of gas. Thousand cubic feet. Yeah. Wow, I don't even. And, and then you that's have, a lot. Uh, right? Yeah, then you have a million BTU, and then for LNG, it's on million tons per annum. And somebody somewhere, I'm sure, has a pretty fancy app with a calculator to convert between all these things. But what matters at the end of the day is, to, if you want an LNG project to happen. You need to make sure that you're, you can deliver it for the lowest possible price into the market. So, so in your opinion, not speaking for anybody, but I mean, what, what's the likelihood that someday a gas line will be built in Alaska? I think it's we're as good a chance as we've ever had, and I'll tell you why. There's three reasons. One is the Prudhoe Bay Reservoir technically is ready to produce gas in a way that it hasn't been before. And we went to the AOGCC, and they agreed that the time was right. That's to, the Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, right? right. And they agreed that the time was right to to bring does in it, to strip out gas. Does that deal with? Is that, is that having to do with reinjecting the gas for right. the pressure? Or? That's right. They they said that for the first time, it was okay to pull gas from the reservoir. So that's the first reason. The second reason is the world is changing away from your heavier carbon fuels, and they're using natural gas more and more as a transition. And so for environmental reasons, for policy reasons, you're seeing natural gas consumed in, a, in higher percentages. And China is trying very hard to move into a cleaner burning environment. I'll tell you, when I was in Shanghai a couple of weeks ago, Monday I could see across the buildings across the river. And by Thursday, I couldn't see those buildings. No, I, I was in Guangzhou years ago and um, part of China, you know, and it was like one day it was kind of fine. And then the next day you're like, you can't see across, You can't see across the street. Yeah. And they know that, and so they're trying to burn more natural gas from LNG to to so, uh, imp- so, improve that. So natural gas is, I mean, far far cleaner than coal or other forms of what else? I guess oil. Yeah, and 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 it's we the way we talk about it is a transition fuel to renewables. If as you're moving away from coal and oil and into an, into a world economy that uses more and more renewables, natural gas is a bridge fuel to those renewables. Well, our, our Chugach electric turbines, those are mm-hmm. natural gas, right? Or those are ga- are they gas or those gas turbines they use? 
They just spin with the the ones on Fire Island. No, 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 no. Those are no, the Chugach Electric. Oh, okay. Th- there's three gas yeah, I turbines. Think, I think those are gas turbines. There's three gas turbines. You're talking about the windmills. Yeah, I was wondering uh, where you're no. going with the windmills. So I, I was on the bylaws committee years ago. So there's three gas turbines, mm-hmm. but there's a fourth turbine, which is powered by the heat, um, I guess exhaust or whatever. The exhaust that's uh, created. So the heat that gets produced right. powers the fourth one. So it's a super efficient system. You're right. It's right, and that's becoming more and more common is for people to figure out. How do you use exhaust? How do you use uh, exhaust heat, residue heat, to to power to generate electricity as well? There's a lot of really cool ideas out there for renewables that that the industry is investing in. It's funny you're like, no, Jeff, the windmills use wind. (laughs) I was wondering where that was going. Um, So, what else was I going to ask you? So, um, there's been some talk by certain people. If you go to like you know resource development council, or if you're involved in the kind of that industry, that some people say, oh, BP's BP's leaving, or B, you mm-hmm. know, and then this whole Kaparik thing happened last year, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't you guys sell? Wasn't it we Conoco? Sold, yeah, we sold our interest in Kaparik to Conoco Phillips. So there's people in the industry or whoever say, "Oh, well, BP's on the way." I mean, have you heard? I mean, it's kind of out there. Oh that, yeah, and you hear in people in the building as well. People have concerns that if we we sold fifty percent of Melanie Point to Hillcorp, we sold our interest in and Kaparik to ConocoPhillips. But, and if you look at each of those individually, it makes a lot of sense. We've learned a lot from Hillcorp in the way they operate Million Point. And they've been able to to invest in, and develop it in a way that we couldn't. Um, at Kaparik, we ended up deepening BP's position in a field in the North Sea in exchange for our exit from Kaparik. It was a good move for BP in the North Sea, a good move for ConocoPhillips at Kaparik. And frankly, it was good for Alaska because it, aligned, it enabled Con- uh, ConocoPhillips to move forward that development program in a way that that frankly is is good for the state, and we recognize that it was a win win for BP and, and Conoco, and also for the state. But from our perspective, none of those reflect our our commitment or the opportunity we see at in Alaska. In fact, we just completed the biggest seismic program ever shot at Prudhoe Bay, 450 square miles of seismic shoot in the most detailed. Uh, advanced technology seismic shoot that's ever been done. Oh, really? Wow, we, and, I know we, that. and we believe that we can use that in, that information to drill at Prudhoe Bay for years to come. We wouldn't be go out there spending that kind of money and doing that kind of work if we didn't believe there is a long opportunity set in Alaska and at Prudhoe Bay to keep playing for. So BP is not not leaving. If we're leaving, nobody's told me. <laughs> I'm, not, um, I'm not a. I'm not the guy uh, sitting in London that makes that call. But I tell you, if you look at what we do at Prudhoe, if you look at what we do in the community, we just did our Teachers of ex- Excellence. Our people live here. You guys My did, kids go here. Yeah, I did a rod or the um, the Ferrandi thing. We did the Ferrandi thing. It was great. And we we like living here. We like the the business opportunity. We think so long as it continues to be supportive of investment and of business, we have forty more years that we can play for at Prudhoe Bay. That's what we're committed to doing. So um, overall, you're, you've been here what? How many years now? This last last hitch. This this time around. Yeah, uh, it's been. Jeez, eight years almost. Wow. So you're pretty. It's kind of. You're kind of almost more Alaskan now than Venezuelan, right? Oh man, don't tell my parents. Um, Are they listening? Hey guys. Well, I'm sure my mom will. You know she's gonna. She's gonna want to listen to this. It's, it's amazing. If you could be 20 or you could be 50. It doesn't you, matter. You're like you're like you do something like you know whatever. And you're like mom's gonna listen. Right. Mom's gonna pay no attention. How old you are. Yeah, mom wants to know the mom wants to see the latest business card that you have. I gotta ask you something. I heard I heard something. A rumor. Um, how's your spinning going? 
Oh, dude, you're killing me. Did you did you buy a spin bike? Oh God. Um, so Jeff, thanks for bringing that up. Um, I heard that. I did. Do you wear those like p- padded like speedo pants or those? You know those kind of like tight They're, biker. My friend does a spin class, so. So I I did buy a Peloton. You look good. Bike. You look good. No, I don't. That's the problem. I think you, I think it's working. I don't. And and here's the. I'll tell you the whole story. It's even worse than that. It, I have I learned last month I have zero cartilage left on my knees, right? Like you want to feel old. I isn't, turn, that low, I, is, isn't that low impact? No, it's, I, that's low energy. No, that's, no, I I'm thought the bike, the bike is, isn't the bike better yeah, for the knee than running? Right, that's what the surgeon said is you've got, he said you, you can't do anything. In fact, it was even worse. He looked at me and, and just kind of shook his head and said, look, you can either swim or bike, but don't do anything else because we're going to have to replace your knees in like five years anyway. So I went and bought a bike and I've I've made I've put in a solid two times on the bike now. It's going really well. Maybe maybe you could start like a, row, a rowing. Well, it's probably knees too, isn't no, it? No, that's not good for the knees. Swimming. I try to swim when I'm here. I'm really good at floating. Yeah, me too. I'm killing the floating. I'm very buoyant. Very <laughs> I'm like a buoy out there. I also want to ask you about I have a picture here about the Kenai Women's Classic. How'd that go? Let me tell you something. First of all, they do an amazing job of organizing these events and raising some money for you, some really good causes. A, you were on a boat. I was on a boat. I helped raise money at w- one part of the Women's Classic. We raised, uh, it was a BP um, boat at the Women's Classic. We raised 12000 bucks. That's great. And had a phenomenal time. And let me tell you something. These women know how to fish and they know how to put on a great event. And... I think I'm probably sworn to secrecy on anything else beyond that. Maybe they will invite me next year, or this year, I guess. I'm. Sh- I think you should ask. You should. You should put in a whisper in there. Hey, Jeff Landfield should come down. And Jeff Landfield will come down. We do a podcast. I have to warn you that you'll be under very clear boundaries on where you can go, what, who you can talk to. I wasn't allowed it just about anything. So, so what's the money for? It's for. It's the Kenai River. Man, I'm going to mess it up. Kenai River. Association. Okay. God, I'm going to have to look it up. I just Somebody sent me this picture of you. and I said, Let me oh, see it. Let me uh, pull it up here. Is it the one in the suit? No, it's a BP flag. There you are with a big smile on your face. Oh, that was and then there's so another one where- you don't have the picture. There is a different a picture of me wearing a, a pink suit. Um, did not get that. Wait a minute. Why didn't they well, send me that see, one? Now, that sounds like the good stuff. That was, that was, that's the, the, the best picture. I like that kind of yellow, what is it, like almost like a- Hawaiian style thing, but it goes around the whole boat. You know the thing you oh, wear around your neck because the whole boat gets uh, dressed up for the event. You kind of looks like a pretty fit it out. Was this last summer, yeah, that was, was like a very pretty day. Look at that! Wow, that it was, was beautiful. That looks like the ideal Alaska day. If you're gonna pick a day to go out there and not catch a single fish, that was the way, day to do it. It was a great time. I think they maybe pulled three silvers the entire morning. Everybody had a blast. And I got to to uh, mix drinks on the boat. That sounds like the that's. I made bloodies in the morning and mimosas, and then worked our way from there. I don't. I don't really golf. I need to start golfing. I mean, golfing is a good way to do these events. But so if, I don't golf. But so a few times, like the Alaska Resource Education, my friend Ella does that. And yep, that's other a great events, event. They've asked me to come, and um, I, I'm making drinks for for folks and i'm, I'm the, doing the drinks i've done that a couple you are times. you gonna do like the bloodies at the so i'm I sponsor- did that last time last so year, yeah. this year the are event is june 12th 
They do. It's a great organization to raise money for, and it's on my birthday this year, so I'm actually sponsoring a whole, and we're gonna have a, a birthday cake out there. That's two birds with one stone, right? That's that's good. I th- so I figure we can. You I'll serve cake, and you can mix drinks. Do you golf? Yeah. So you're, I need to start golfing because there's all these fun golf events this summer. And you and I have great body sizes for right, no, golf. You got, you got a good. Um, you, you can wind it up, right? right. And you use that. You use that momentum. We've got that John Daly. <laughs> golf body that that uh, seems to work so well. Spe- speaking of golf, did you see this guy? I can't believe this. This guy, and I think he was from Wisconsin. He put eighty grand on Tiger. Yes, Tiger. What did you see this? He was from Wisconsin. There was a guy in Vegas that did it. He went to Vegas because he, because he he he. I watched the 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 a press conference. So he was he called up. Nobody would take his bet. He found um, a place that gave him fourteen to one odds. Yeah, yeah. So he went to this. He went to like he said he went to like. The book, regular books, I think it was Balot, and they kind of people thought he was nuts. He went to this one, I forget the name of it, but he said they were really great. They were professional. Mm-hmm. They talked to him. They gave him fourteen to one. Right. He was kind of a quiet, bigger guy, kind of quiet, Probably a golfer. But but he, you know, he said that he just really believed in him, and he said he felt it was coming, and he put he won like a million, one point two million or something. Yeah, it was insane. It was, uh... and he was just he he wasn't even excited. Like that was me. <laughs> like everybody would know, and their brother would know. He was it wasn't even that excited. He, he was real private. He didn't want to say much about like. Where he lived exactly, or what he did. Yeah, his address. So he's probably really popular now. He's got lots of new friends. Hope Tiger Woods gives him a call and says, "Hey, buddy, I appreciate the, the <laughs> I'm support." Sure, I'm sure he'd, he would appreciate the invite to Tiger's parties. Well, uh, we're getting up to forty minutes, which normally I do thirty, but when somebody's as fascinating as Mr. Damien here, I'll do I'll do longer. Well, yeah, and let's uh, we'll make sure to edit it properly. I think it's good good to go. Just roll it. I uh, I think we should we could do. A normal, regular podcast, not not oil related. You're just a pretty good guy to. We, we have haven't even con- talked about Vegas. No, you were just in Vegas, right? I was just in Vegas. I got a small business in Vegas. I was just down there checking in on it. What's oh my? What's that? What's your uh, business? We're gonna have to wait for part two of the podcast. Wow, you Jeff. got there's a lawyer and the MBA. So and just, you got to leave him wanting more, Jeff. We should do we should do like a, like a monthly Damien check in. We'll do a we'll do a, a on the golf course podcast. Right. I love it between one of our rounds. I'm 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 and, I'm in cake and cake and drinks. Maybe a little little. Uh, we'll do it at the ARE. Bloody Mary. Yeah, we'll do it at the ARE golf course. Uh, well, golf tournament. Damien, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're very busy, keeping keeping the pipeline stable, <laughs> keeping things going there. Well, I appreciate you coming up and and uh, having a conversation. Yeah, th- and thanks for the we'll ba- look for the next one. You th- you can keep the mug too. Can I keep the badge? You can keep the badge too. Really. No, you can't keep the badge. Okay, I figured you got to give that back. But I, but I, you can keep the coffee cup. They gave me a badge, and I said I'm in. <laughs> so I like you'll the, be escorted out just like you were escorted in. I've actually been given, oddly enough, the same color, two coffee mugs, in Juno in the last week. It was Alaska Political Pipeline from Channel Two. He gave me a mug, and then I did a podcast with the governor. They gave me a mug, same color. So I'm collecting blue. I think we're running out of interesting things to talk about. We are. We're gonna we're gonna sign Let's off. Let's just draw I, draw a line there. We're we're, we're done. <laughs> All right, Damon, thank you very much for doing the podcast. I appreciate you taking the time. And again, great, great office, great, uh, great conversation. I want to thank uh, my buddy Megan Baldino over here, too, who's she's she's watching. She's intently having a good time. She's, she's making sure I don't I don't say anything I shouldn't. I think she's having a good time. She, she's like the like the Soviet minder, you know, she's that's right. Watching closely. All right, Baldino, well, she's also Cubs fan. You know, there's Cubs fans everywhere. Yeah, There's two in here, two, Meg, two against one. There's Capozzi, Katie Capozzi, the mm-hmm. new president at the uh, chamber. chamber. You got Steering. you got you. You're, you're, there's too you're many a, of you guys. A small and there's one, one White Sox guy. 
That's all right. That'll be our next podcast. All right. Thanks again, Damien and Thank Megan. You, Jeff. And uh, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast with me, get a hold of me. Let me know, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you later. Land